You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Kara Hayward, hosting the FinTech Karaoke mini-series focused on partnerships in the FinTech ecosystem. Really excited to have Trent Sorby from Central Payments here with us today. Welcome, Trent. Hey, Kara. Big fan of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we kick in uh, to, the, to the session here, Trent, if you could just maybe introduce yourself Talk a little bit a little bit about your role, central payments as a whole, and a bit of your background in the payments industry. Sure. I am one of the founders here at Central Payments. In 2014, Central Bank of Kansas City reached out to me and said, hey, coming out of the economic recession of the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, we've kind of thought about how we want to grow the bank and we think, you know, there's a future in payments. And so they reached out to me and said, hey, we, we, we'd we like to build out a payments division to drive deposits to the bank. Um, the bank's a CDFI, a community development financial institution. And so obviously payments, we know um, in many cases, there are a lot of applications where payments are attractive to low and moderate income folks, um, remittances, payroll cards, the list is long. And so they saw it as an opportunity to really stay true to the bank's mission, serving, we always say, folks of modest means. And payments seemed like a logical area for the bank to to grow into, as opposed to putting branches up in affluent areas of Kansas City. And so I started Central Payments uh, with the bank back in 2014. My background has always been in payments. Um, I got my start uh, right out of college with the FDIC. So I was a regulator for about nine years. And, you know, fantastic experience. You learn so much in such a short period of time. And then uh, not long after that, um, came over to the bank side. And I've been in various forms of consumer payments uh, and financial institutions ever since. So starting a payments division uh, for a bank uh, was very natural for me. Uh, we're based here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, beautiful Sioux Falls. If this was a video recording, I could show the first snowfall of the year that happened last night in Sioux Falls. I'm sure not the last, but if you know anything about Sioux Falls, aside from uh, interesting weather, uh, we are sort of a mecca for a payment card issuing of some sort. Lots of folks like central payments here locally. And so when we started central payments, it was very natural for us to make home base here in Sioux Falls and, and really try to attract top-notch talent for folks that you know have a lot of experience in this space. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I've actually been telling a few people on your team, I've been wanting to get up there to Sioux Falls because every time I'm on a podcast or I talk to anyone, I hear how beautiful it is. So one of these days, awesome. Well, um, I think really the, the focus of the conversation today is on banking as a service. Um, I know that central payments, and, and I think one thing that's really awesome and unique about central payments is that you have sort of started right at the pinnacle of fintech in the US. And you guys have really kind of uh, uh, rode the wave or actually been sort of the head of the wave, I would say, in terms of uh, building out the fintech industry here in the U.S. How would you define the term bank as a service? Well, first off, thank you for saying that. You're absolutely right. When we started, it was clear that things were changing in the payment space and the concept of fintech had been around. But to your point, we sensed a wave coming on. And so we really looked at it and said, look, if we're going to time it right with this 
you know, emerging fintech tidal wave, maybe you could say. You know, the first thing we said is we have got to be technology first. We don't use the term sponsor bank here. We don't use the term rent a bin around here. You know, we looked at it and said the the charter itself is important, but you know, we like to build stuff around here. And we said, look, it's clear these fintechs want could use more from their bank partner. So how do we come to the table and and allow for A, super easy integration and B, bring choice and optionality within a core platform or excuse me, an API platform. And so when we built our OpenCP, um, we call it an API FinTech marketplace. We really looked at it and said, not only are you going to connect into this API platform, you know, what what many would consider bank as a service, but we like to think of it as a real bank as a service because, you know what, it's actually from a bank. And I think that's a that's a significant distinguishing factor for us as we go out in the marketplace and say, not only are you talking to your technology provider, who's going to connect you with all of the players in the ecosystem, um, like a lot of the platforms do, but we think we bring two more important characteristics to the platform. A, the charter is embedded. So when you talk to your technology provider, you're talking to your bank partner at the same time. That creates tremendous efficiencies, um, as you might imagine. And then also embedded in the platform is an element of choice. And so as we think about transaction processing and card fulfillment and customer service, we're bringing choice of providers inside of that. And so you aren't tied to one specific solution for transaction processing. And we actually have three providers of transaction processing. And each of those are unique in their own special way that may work better for certain opportunities than others. And so you'll see on basically anything we publish, this concept of technology charter choice. um, And that really is us in a nutshell. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I really, I really like to, I'm excited to dig into that a little bit more because I think, you know, banking is a service that the the term, that everything around it has become very popular. And I think that there's been this proliferation of banking as a service providers, but there's really not really anyone else out there that has a, a full service banking as service offering that's also a bank. Um, so I'm, uh, we'll dig into that in a minute. But before we get into that, why do you think banking as service has become so popular? Can we talk a little bit about the proliferation of banking as a service and why it's become such a big thing? Sure. And we look at that really as in two verticals. One is what I would call an early stage fintech model, where you have folks that you know have developed some what they believe to be particularly unique way in which to acquire customers or create wonderful user experience. And those are all the brands that we're used to seeing that we hear about every day. I think one of the reasons bank is, as a service is attractive to them is that they don't necessarily want to put every all the pieces and the parts together to create a solution set for what it is, for their customer experience that they've created. And so a one-stop shop solution, which is if you had to whittle down bank as a service into a simple little tagline. It really is a one-stop shop service. I think that's attractive to early stage fintechs whose motivation is get to market, prove you can acquire customers, prove your user experience is great, prove that there's word of mouth that's going to acquire more customers. That's what they want their investors to, that's what their investors want them to do. If you went to those early stage investors and said, I'm going to build out the best AML BSA department you've ever seen, most of those investors would say, wait a minute, you're going to spend my money on what? Um, (laughs) Like you're recreating the wheel? What the heck is that? (laughs) I'm sorry, say what? So we think bank as a service, whether it's compliance and or processing or card fulfillment or all that stuff that's down and kind of in the guts of the ecosystem, um, we think it speaks to that world um, really well. And then I think the other vertical we talk a lot about is this sort of embedded finance world where you might have big brands, very established brands 
that are thinking about introducing some aspect of payments into their core offering, which probably isn't payments related in most cases. Uh, and they have a desire for a one-stop shop solution as well, because they don't want to put the pieces and the parts together. The last thing they probably want to be is a financial services company. They sure don't want to be a bank. And so they look at, I think, bank as a service and say, look, again, one-stop shop gets me to market quickly. I can embed it very easily in my, in my solutions set to make the user experience particularly convenient. And so I, I think the service works well there. And so we look at every opportunity as sort of one or one of those verticals. Sometimes they blend a little bit, but for the most part, it's either embedded finance or, you know, sort of standalone fintech model. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, uh, especially in that embedded finance world, I feel like there's just so much opportunity out there and um, maybe we can touch on some of the things that you're seeing later, but, but first let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about how, how the traditional kind of banking is service model falls short. You know, again, you mentioned one of the ways that you're really differentiating yourself and, 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 and where you see a lot of advantages is because you are a bank as well. Right. So if we can maybe dig into that a little bit, like where, why do you think that uh, you set yourself apart and if we could get a little more detail around why incorporating the bank as part of the technology really creates more flexibility and other advantages. We think of the, we think of the charter as another sort of solution set inside of the platform. So we, we tell everyone, you know, we're a platform company with issuing capability embedded. And so if you're, if you have your tick list of all the providers that you might be considering, and you said, look, it's really important that I have direct access to my issuer, you're going to eliminate a lot of providers pretty quickly. And so I think that's particularly relevant. I think the value of the bank charter in many cases is to be one step removed from your bank, I think is, is a high risk proposition, because I think if between you and the bank is a provider, there's a lot of things that go on at the bank that you don't have direct visibility into that. And you're going to build a whole, you're going to build your business on top of that. That feels to us uh, inherently risky. Doesn't mean it can't work. Don't get me wrong. Cause we obviously see it working in the marketplace, but if you can eliminate that risk and now instead of you know, you're, you're talking every day to your bank as a service platform provider, but you really don't know who your bank is. You sure as heck have never been to their office and you're not sure you really have a great relationship with them because you haven't had a chance to understand them. You know, we think there's a level of vulnerability to that. And so we really, if your platform is going to be a platform, which really means um, it's stable, not just from an uptime capability, but it's insulated from all the external risks, regulatory risk comes to mind right away. You know, it has to be a foundation. You're building a business on top of that. And what do you want from a foundation? You know, you want it to be as sturdy as possible. And, you know, we think the, the other models, there's a level of risk there that, that we just frankly um, have tried to uh, take advantage of and, and not have here. And, yeah. and we think the charters is a, is a big factor there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, especially now that you're starting to see certain banking as a service providers working with multiple institutions or institutions working with multiple banking as a service providers, all of a sudden, even if you're the best banking as a service provider from a risk perspective, someone else could uh, could could ruin it all for you, right? So I, I really like that, that vertical approach to it. We really look at it. I'm sorry, we really look yeah, at it think- as really look at it as blowback risk. You don't do anything wrong. You're functioning well, but somebody over here does something wrong. And all of a sudden, you know, that creates risk volatility and, you know, anxiety on your side. And so that blowback risk, I think is significant. And I think we're going to see that there is going to be a day when 
one of the issuers connected to one of the bank and service platforms has a problem. And then we're going to have to, I mean, it's, we all see the sales pitch really easy on board up in market in no time. Let's talk about what the unwind experience in the situation that you might have to unwind the thing. It'll be interesting to watch that um, when it does inevitably happen. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I feel like it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when uh, to your point. And probably I would be surprised if sooner than later, again, just because of the massive growth in this space. One factor to think about as you think about the idea of having to unwind it, the 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 bank has is in an interesting position. They have to be able to explain to their regulatory friends, don't worry, I've got my arms around this thing. I know what's happening there. The partner's boarding a ton of programs, but don't worry, I I, I, I see out above the forest and I have my arms around this thing. Inevitably, one of them is not gonna be able to make that case very well. And that unwind is going to have to happen. We really looked when we built OpenCP, it was as much a market play, but it was also a risk management opportunity for us. Now, if instead of being a spoke, you're the hub, we all know that concept, right? It's it's easier for me to say to a regulator, don't worry, I've got my arms around this thing because everything's flowing through me. And so the, the idea, the obligation of the bank to say, look, I'm monitoring my third parties. I know what's happening in all these programs. You know, if you're one step removed from the activity, that's a that's a much harder message to try to convince a regulator than saying, I'm watching, it's flowing through me every day. I see everything going on on every program. And God forbid, if I had to do something to slow it down or stop it, I control the switch. Now we haven't had a situation to have to do that, but we all can think back in, in, in our careers of situations where things did have to get shut down. You know, I, I, we, like I said, we see OpenCP as a risk management play um, almost as much as we see it as a market play. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so maybe actually we can start uh, heading into talking a bit more about OpenCP. So I guess first off, maybe if you could just give an overview uh, for our audience of what is OpenCP, sort of what is the product base, what sort of areas of making as a service do you focus on? Sure. We try to, the best way I could describe OpenCP is we try to be as device agnostic as possible. It is a money moving engine. The device or the appliance is what we like to call them mm-hmm. that's sitting out there on the periphery. It does. We try not to make it matter so much to us. So whether it's plastic, virtual, IoT, remittance, ACH, it's all forms of money movement for us. Uh, it is a, a one-stop connection into us. It's a publicly available API catalog that will connect you to basically through us, not only to our issuing capability, to all of our risk management tools, to all of our call center providers and everything else, but you're coding to effectively one set of APIs. Now, we may set up your processing to to work on processor A. If you're not happy with how that's working, we can flip you over to processor B. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. I don't want to give the wrong impression without you having to do any recoding because you coded to our API. So now all of a sudden you can start to look at champion challenger scenarios within market leading providers that allow you to effectively find the best of all solutions. Think about ID verification. You might have a provider that's particularly good at doing ID verification on low doc immigrants or or young people or whatever. So you may want to come in through our API for this type of customer, go here to get the, to get the ID verification. But for this type of customer, hop over here. 
that's all there without you having to create all those relationships. And so OpenCP, like I said, it's a marketplace where you go in and pick microservices that you need for your program. We work with you to, to provide, to figure out the provider that might be best suited and then effectively connect all those, toggle all those switches on or off uh, as you build your, build your program for whatever the reason happens to be. That's really amazing. And actually, I think it's very unique because I, I think from, from what I've seen in the banking as a service space, it's kind of, you, you get what's, you get exactly. what they, right? You take what you get or however you want to put that because most of them, I would say, really only have one provider. And so it's either like, listen, we can support this use case or we can't. And then also back to your unwind conversation, like, as you grow and as you develop and as you change, all of a sudden you're facing a, oh my gosh, this platform hasn't grown with me. I now have to go figure out how to build directly to another platform. So that's, that's really awesome that you provide that flexibility and choice, but without having to recode because that's such I, a... I think- yeah. I think the choice aspect is, I, I think we probably don't do justice to the choice aspect when we talk about it, because I think you're exactly right. I mean, in the unfortunate situation of poor service of whatever that solution happens to be that you're subscribing to, to not have another option, I think is a very limiting factor. So if you think of all of the key, all of the key services you would want in your bank as a service platform, we have two or three, and in some cases, four solutions that are available to you to utilize without ever having to change. If, you're, if your function is to create card, let's just say a simple API call like that, that code, that API will never change, even though we may route it to another provider based on certain performance criteria that we think would be better suited at a different provider. So you don't necessarily, if, if there's a degradation in service in the ecosystem, it doesn't mean you have to dump us to go to the next one. We'll just route traffic and try another solution. And that's just a function of us having the volume to spread across multiple entities. And we know everybody in the space because we've been an issuer and all of us that, you know, have the gray hair around here um, have been doing this a long time. And so we really feel like we're able to kind of go in and, and find best in class providers, create relationships and, and bring them into the ecosystem, which by the way, will never stop being built. I mean, the, the, the roadmap is long and, uh, and will never stop. I don't don't think. That's awesome. And, and that's great too. I mean, I think that's, um, I think one of the, the, the complaints about this space is that a lot of the banking as a service providers are great tech minds, but haven't had that experience in banking. And I think this is where you guys really shine in the sense of a, not only have you been a banker forever, but you were a regulator. So you know what they're thinking too, right? And you're, you're actually building in that compliance framework into it. And the fact that, again, because you started a little bit earlier than the rest of kind of the cohort, <laughs> you have that ability to keep adding and, and being flexible with your, with your customer base, which is really fantastic. I think, I think you said it, you said it really well. I worry sometimes that we're, we focus on the ease of development, which is obviously very important, but sometimes I feel like we lose the product component to that in, in, in the process. And so what I tell folks is, Look, developers can develop to anything. Um, they're incredibly skilled individuals, at least that I've always come across. Let's not lose sight of, of making sure that the products are there. And if we have to sacrifice a little bit on being developer friendly, maybe we do that because in the end, we still have the charter, we still have the choice and, and really let's build out product. So I am sure you can go out there and find providers that have the slickest API catalog imaginable and a, you know, a ninth grader could code to it. I'm sure that's the case. You know, I, I, I feel really good about where we are, but I don't ever want to lose sight of the product component to it. 
Absolutely. And I think, again, to your point, that's something that it, it does seem to get sometimes lost <laughs> these days, right? And, and and it's really important to look at the entire picture because at the end of the day, you're you're building, like banking isn't simple. It's really not, no matter how, how much work this industry puts into it. And so you have to look at it from all aspects. Um, I think we lose sight. I think we lose sight, to your point, I think we lose yeah. sight right now because everything is going so fast and getting so big and the dollars are flowing in so rapidly. You know, I think most people are, they don't think about what's, why is it important that I have experience in my provider? Why is it important that my provider be profitable? Well, there's a novel concept in this space today. So, you know, all those things will come to light when we have one of those oh no moments that we were talking about earlier. We'll see, but you know, I'm I'm quick to show our financial statements. They're publicly available. Uh, I'm quick to show the performance of Central uh, and say, you know, we're not VC funded. We're profitable today. The bank's been around since 1951. It's certainly not going anywhere. And so, if you're going to build a business you know, why not build it with experience and stability? Can, can we actually maybe talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's something that a, a lot of a lot of people are asking, including the investor world, like, when are we going to expect these uh, banks and service companies to make money? So what, what do you think? Um, and, and again, perhaps this goes back to the fact that, you know, you're aligned, like that you're also a bank, right? You're all aligned under the same roof. But can you talk a bit about what you think about in terms of creating a profitable banking as a service platform and, and maybe some advice or some things to watch out for, for those that are going on that journey. Sure. I mean, I think it's going to take tremendous scale and consolidation. I mean, that's the reality of it. It is, you know, the scale is going to be important because all of those bank as a service platforms are going to have to get down where their cost structure is probably different than where it is today. So per transaction cost, per account create costs, all those sorts of things. In the end, for most of them, there's another party back there doing the processing in the transaction processing. And it just takes tremendous scale to get those cost points down to where you can start to sniff profitability. And so I think volume on the front end, and frankly, tremendous economies of scale uh, from an expense standpoint. And so, you know, those of them that those of those providers probably are a long way from seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, that takes it one bit further to the customers of those platforms, because that's another big concern is how do those fintechs or those embedded finance plays like how do they make money? And um, I think this is where embedded finance is interesting because I think it's not the main business model and the main way that a lot of these companies make make revenue. And maybe it's more of a retention strategy or an acquisition strategy. But for those where this, like they're building a bank, it's really tough <laughs> if you're not aligned with the right partner. Um, Absolutely. And I think that the, we think that the more vertically aligned you are, Chances are not only is it better for us financially or than, than if I was part of a, a big ecosystem and I'm just the sponsor bank pulling in sponsor bank economics, we think this, this approach is more valuable to us, but I think we can do better from a financial standpoint ultimately with the end provider because anytime you don't need the middleman, whatever the middleman happens to be doing, typically there's more economics to spread amongst the parties because there's just fewer parties. And I think for you know, some of these early stage companies that have to start thinking about the point in which they reach profitability and scale, you know, the more vertically integrated their solution set is, uh, I think that's naturally is going to come sooner rather than later. And, and so we'll see. 
Yeah. Awesome. And then one last thing on, um, on the banking and service side. So a lot of banks who have tried to build out their own, um, API layers have gotten kind of a bad rap sometimes. So I want to take it to the flip side a little bit where, oh yeah, okay. Maybe they're really good at getting the product set, but it's not developer friendly or it takes forever to build out a new product. And so I think that's just like the sentiment with a lot of people, but I'd love to hear your, your insights and your opinions as to how, because from what I from what I understand, you know, maybe maybe you guys had took some time, but like you have a very very strong tech stack, right? And you have a wonderful culture of technology. So maybe you could provide a little insight into how, as a bank with the kind of bank culture, you're also to able to gr- build great technology and get that to scale. When I when I talk to other bankers about this, and they say, "Hey, I want to do that," I said, "Okay." Stop right there. Who's the first call you're going to make as you think about building it? And if your answer is your core provider, your core processing provider, if that's your answer, stop. (laughs) Stop what you're doing right now. You have to imagine a world where your core provider is not involved in this business other than possibly some general ledger things. But I said, you have got to think a decentralized ledgering system that absolutely is never, ever dependent on your core processing provider. And so I think that those that have struggled in the past are those that come at it to say, mobile app, I better call my core. APIs, I better call my core. Remote deposit capture, better call my core. And I I think that is tough, tough proposition. Let's put it that way. And so I think if you come at it differently and say, look, I, I, I don't have one core, I've got six cores and I can build technology that looks at those cores in a normalized state where just because it's processed on this one versus that one versus that one, I'm going to normalize the data, bring it back in and think about it in a normalized environment. I think your your probability of success goes up a long ways. And I think you have to have a really experienced, well-networked group. If you're a community bank and just say, I'm going to jump in and grab you know, the next chime, that you are going to spend a lot of money getting there. And so you, I think you have to have some deep inroads in the space as well. Um, for folks that that want to listen to this value prop. That's awesome. That's fantastic advice. I couldn't could not agree more. You have to think about how to make the technology work for you, not just pick up what's off the shelf. Fantastic. Well, I guess as we wrap up here, I'd love to hear just your insights on what's the next big thing coming in fintech and payments. What are you excited about over the next five years? Money's going to keep moving faster. I think it behooves central and our OpenCP platform, and I'm sure everybody else is thinking this, until the rails start to consolidate, you have got to connect to every rail you could possibly imagine. And, you know, obviously we're very interested in watching, you know, what digital currency is going to do. We're very interested in watching remittances. And I think the two of them are going to overlap a lot uh, in the future. You know, we want to see ubiquitous opportunity, you know, really, we really want to see, I use the analogy all the time. If, if we're the electric company, I want a consumer to be able to go buy any toaster they want, plug it into the wall. And what do you want from your electric company? You want stability, dependability, and ubiquity, and you want it to be, you know, always on. And I said, you know, they don't, they don't want to think about their utility company. They want to think about the toaster they're buying. Yeah. And so I tell people all the time, I like, we cannot get caught up on the device. We can't get caught up on the appliance. Uh, money is going to move in lots of different ways. So build a platform that can speak to all of those appliances. That's a really, really good analogy, actually. I love that. And, and to your point, like 
we want to keep getting creative in this space and finding different use cases um, on the toaster end. And so the more that we can make the, the back end reliable and support that, the better. Well, Trent, this has been fantastic. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up here? No, Kara, this is our second time on your podcast. We enjoy it. We think it's a, a great opportunity to share our message and, uh, and just, you know, really would welcome anyone to reach out to, to learn more about the solution set. Absolutely. Well, Trent, thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Okay, goodbye. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.